Welcome back to Sad Girl Study Guides. As always, I'm your host, Amelia, and as always, I'm sad. My winter break is over. I'm back in Chicago. It's not hideously cold, thank goodness, but it is raining, so that's always fun. Today's study guide subject is going to be about Napoleon Bonaparte's youngest sister, Caroline Bonaparte. To be totally honest, when I started learning about Caroline Bonaparte, I felt like she was kind of a bitch, but now that I've done all my research on her, my feelings have changed. I maybe shouldn't have been so judgmental. Yes, Caroline still isn't my favorite of the Bonaparte siblings, but I do have a lot more respect for her, and I am pretty impressed by what she did with her life, and hopefully all of you will feel the same way. You almost certainly did not learn about Caroline Bonaparte in your AP Euro history class, because from my recollection of being a high school student taking AP Euro, Napoleon is sort of crammed in to the end of the first semester right before winter break, and your poor teacher probably didn't have time to go on tangents about his various siblings. But she is extremely fun. Her study guide includes a truly epic sibling betrayal, a firing squad, and a possible love affair with one of Europe's greatest diplomats. Let's begin. The woman who would become Caroline Bonaparte is born March 25, 1782, in Ajaco, Corsica. Her birth name is Maria Anuzata Bonaparte, but for convenience's sake, I'm just going to refer to her as Caroline throughout the episode. You probably know the drill when it comes to who her parents are, but in case this is the very first episode on the Bonapartes that you're listening to, well, welcome, but also her parents are Maria Letizia and Carlo Bonaparte. Caroline is 13 years younger than her famous older brother, so she's not going to meet him until he comes back from school after her father, Carlo, dies of cancer in 1785. Caroline is only three when her father dies, which means that like her sister Pauline, she is not going to get a formal education on Corsica. This also means that we just don't know all that much about her early childhood and time on the island. That all changes in 1793, when the entire family has to flee Corsica due to Lucien Bonaparte's habit of angering whatever government is in power. When the family flees Corsica, Caroline is 11 years old, and once the family moves from Corsica to Marseille, she changes her name from Maria to Caroline so she can sound more French. And this is a trend with all the girls in the Bonaparte family. Remember, both Elisa and Pauline Bonaparte had changed their names as well. So, Caroline is 11 years old, and she and her family have settled down in Marseille. At the beginning, living in Marseille doesn't go exactly great. No one in the Bonaparte family has all that much money, and in fact, Caroline is going to be a bit of a servant for the rest of the Bonapartes at the very beginning because just things aren't going well. However, this time of poverty slash partial servitude doesn't last that long for Caroline because Napoleon is doing very, very well in the French Revolutionary Army and keeps getting promoted. Because Caroline is younger than her other sisters, and because this poverty doesn't last too long, she isn't going to be quite as traumatized by it as Pauline and Elisa, and it didn't seem to affect her later life as much as it did her sisters. Once Napoleon is truly established in the French army, he's going to pay for Caroline to attend the very prestigious Madame Capon's Academy in Saint-Germain-en-Laye. Madame Capon's Academy is literally the best school for girls in the entire country. And overall, it seems like Caroline had a fairly good time there. 
most of the other students there had had their education disrupted by the French Revolution, so Caroline isn't too behind, all things considered, when she first enrolls. And there's going to be another student there who's going to play a very big role in Caroline's later life, Hortense de Beauharnais, Josephine Bonaparte's daughter. According to Napoleon's valet, even though Hortense is younger, she is a better student than Caroline. Specifically, she's better at reading. And Caroline absolutely hates this. This is going to be the beginning of a tense relationship between Caroline and Hortense, which is going to continue throughout the rest of Caroline's life. Basically, Anyone who's anyone thinks that Hortense is the more talented of the two, and Caroline absolutely hates this. Despite this one point of tension, overall, Caroline is going to have a fairly good education and a fairly good time at Madame Capon's Academy. She ends up leaving the Academy at some point. It's a little bit unclear exactly when but it's by the time she's 15, because when she's 15 in 1797, she meets the man who is going to be her husband, Joaquin Morat. Morat is one of Napoleon's fellow army officers in Italy and had become extremely close to Napoleon. Before serving in the army, Marat had been the son of an innkeeper and had briefly studied theology before dropping out of school and joining the Navy instead. Marat, much like Napoleon, was extremely talented and very, very quickly rose through the army ranks. In addition to being talented, Marat is known for being extremely handsome. Specifically, he's known for having beautiful dark hair, while Caroline, who's only 15, already has a reputation for being pretty, if a little bit too tall. However, Caroline is never going to have a reputation for being a true beauty like her older sister, Pauline, so hooray for sibling rivalry among the Bonapartes. So, Caroline and Marat meet in 1797. At the time that Caroline meets Marat, she's already having some sort of romantic relationship with another French general, Linnae, who is richer and from a better family, but had already been through one divorce, which Napoleon is completely against because Napoleon hates the idea of divorce at that point in his life. So Napoleon tells Caroline, ditch Linnae, go for Marat. And it's a good thing that Napoleon does because apparently as soon as Marat and Caroline meet, it's love at first sight. The two get married on January 20th, 1800, in a civil ceremony. Even though Napoleon had been pushing Caroline to ditch her other boyfriend for Marat, he wasn't actually all that thrilled that the two got married because he wanted Caroline to marry someone who had more political influence and more potential. In fact, Josephine may have had to convince him to support the relationship, which is real ironic given that Caroline and Josephine's daughter Hortense were such frenemies and given that Caroline is going to be a real bitch to Josephine down the line. However, ultimately, Napoleon is fine with the Marat-Caroline relationship because Marat is one of his closest friends. At the time of the wedding, Caroline is 17 and Marat is 32, which is nice and normal and not at all troubling. Caroline's marriage ceremony ends up being on the smaller side, and Caroline has a pretty small dowry, especially compared to her other sisters. In fact, the biggest bit of her dowry is a diamond necklace that Napoleon gives her that had originally belonged to Josephine. And when Josephine finds out about this, she is rightfully extremely annoyed. And Josephine then goes out and buys a new diamond necklace to replace the one that Napoleon had given away. And then Napoleon gets annoyed. And it's a whole lot of drama. For the first year of her marriage, 
Caroline actually isn't going to see all that much of her husband because Marat is off fighting for Napoleon. Yes, it's sad, but Caroline doesn't spend all that much time crying. Instead, she's going to be chilling in Paris. She gets to take part in proper Parisian society for basically the first time in her life, which is extremely exciting for her, and she's going to be part of the whole social circle that all of the Bonaparte sisters are a part of. In the fall of 1800, she is pregnant. And then something extremely scary happens. On December 25th, on December 21st, 1800, she, Josephine, and Hortense take a carriage together to go to the opera. On the way, Josephine realizes that she had left her shawl behind at home. They turn around, get the shawl, and then go back to the opera. As they're heading to the opera, a bomb goes off by the carriage and almost kills them. Luckily, all three women are fine and Caroline's unborn baby is also fine, but Josephine and her tents are in a massive panic. Caroline, however, is pretty cool about the whole thing. She is not panicking, even though she and her unborn baby almost died. The fact that she doesn't panic makes a lot of people judge her and say that there's something psychologically wrong with her, which I think is kind of unfair. I think Caroline's reaction just shows that she was really calm, cool, and collected, and probably someone who you wanted at your side during an emergency. A few weeks later, in January 1801, Caroline gives birth to her first child, a son named Achille. Depending on exactly what source you read, the order of his names is different, but his names were Achille, Napoleon, Charles, Louis, and he goes by Achille, so I'm just going to call him Achille. Caroline and Marat are going to have three other children. A daughter, Letizia, whose full name is going to be Marie Letizia Josephine Anosaid. And as a side note, Caroline wanted to have this daughter's name be Joseph, not Josephine, because she hated Josephine Bonaparte so much, but it wouldn't have been proper to give a girl a boy's name. So Josephine it was. A boy, Lucien, whose full name was Lucien Charles Joseph Napoleon, and a final daughter, Louise, whose full name was Louise Julie Caroline, which feels really boring by comparison to her other siblings. Caroline gave birth Caroline gave birth to all four children by 1805. All of her children did survive past childhood, and all but Achille would end up having children of their own. So in terms of the rest of her siblings, Caroline was extremely competent in the whole giving birth and having successful offspring department. During her time in Parisian society, Caroline does have a habit of going out in extremely elaborate, slightly revealing outfits while pregnant, which did give her a slightly scandalous reputation for the time period, although her reputation was never going to be quite as scandalous as Pauline because it's really hard to top Pauline Bonaparte when it comes to scandal. In 1802, two years after their civil marriage ceremony, Caroline and Marat finally have a religious ceremony for their marriage. Their religious marriage happens on the same day as their brother Louis's marriage to Caroline's frenemy, Hortense, which must have gone over great with Caroline. I wasn't able to find anything that said exactly how she felt about it, but I'm sure it was not positive. By the time the religious ceremony between Marat and Caroline had occurred, Marat was steadily moving up in the military hierarchy, thanks in part to his competency, but also thanks in part to the fact that he was married to Napoleon's sister. This really comes to a peak in 1803 when Napoleon makes Marat the governor of Paris. Very exciting. This is a huge fucking promotion. As a result of this promotion, the whole Bonaparte Marat family moves to the Elysee Palace, which is extremely exciting to Caroline. She's living in a palace now, but she's still not content. She wants her family to keep moving up the ranks. 
during this time in Paris, Caroline is going to continue being part of that fun Paris society circle, but there is a downside. Caroline and Josephine continue fighting and continue to have a not great relationship. And yes, none of the Bonaparte siblings are going to have a great relationship with Josephine Bonaparte, but Caroline's relationship with Josephine is extremely bad. It's so bad, in fact, that Caroline just stops visiting Napoleon at the chateau that he shares with Josephine. And soon, this bad relationship with his wife is going to spill into Caroline's relationship with her brother. At one point, Caroline and Napoleon are going to get into a huge argument because Napoleon slaps her oldest son, Achille, because Achille was crying too much when Napoleon was tugging on his ears, which is, yeah, that's not Achille's fault. He's a little kid. Why are you pulling on the ears of a little kid, Napoleon? Despite the internal family drama, Caroline does manage to put on a happy, smiling public face, especially when we get to 1804 and Napoleon's coronation. As I've covered in past episodes, Napoleon's coronation causes a lot of drama within the Bonaparte family, and Caroline is going to get really caught up in that drama because her husband is accused later on of pushing Napoleon to name himself Emperor of France, even though Marat probably had nothing to do with that. In the build-up to the coronation specifically, Napoleon starts giving all these titles to Josephine, his brothers, and the wives of his brothers. This means that Hortense is going to get a title because she's married to Louis Bonaparte. Caroline is not happy that Hortense is getting a title while she's getting nothing. She literally has a temper tantrum over this at a family dinner because Napoleon keeps calling Hortense princess and isn't using any title to refer to her and gets herself so worked up that she ends up fainting at the table. In response to this, in order to ease some of the family tension, Napoleon does end up giving Caroline the courtesy the courtesy title of Imperial Highness to appease her. But this is only a courtesy title, not a real title. And as always, Caroline still wants more. She wants to be an actual princess. God damn it. So she starts sucking up to Napoleon and buying him stuff and helping him get new mistresses in an attempt to convince him to give her lands and a real title. In 1805, Caroline introduces Napoleon to a young woman named Eleanor Denel de la Plange, who is a member of who is a member of Caroline's household and is extremely pretty and who just so happens to be sleeping with Caroline's husband, Marat. Hmm, isn't that convenient? Caroline can stop her from sleeping with her husband and give her over to Napoleon. Napoleon is instantly charmed by Eleanor and starts an affair with her. And suddenly, Eleanor gets pregnant and gives birth to the first of Napoleon's children, albeit illegitimate children, Charles Leon. The fact that Eleanor is, the fact that Eleanor has given birth to one of Napoleon's children makes Caroline extremely happy because it shows without a doubt that Josephine is the one who is responsible for Napoleon not having any heirs. She's really going to use this piece of data to push Napoleon to divorce Josephine, which obviously will eventually happen. It's just going to take a few more years. In 1806, Napoleon finally gives Caroline what she's been dreaming of, lands and a title. He makes her and Marat in charge of the German principality of Berg and Cleves. And if, like myself, you're not an expert in 19th century German geography. The Principality of Bergs and Cleves is in northwest Germany, sort of along the Rhine River 
and Dusseldorf is the principality's capital. Caroline is thrilled by this. She now gets the official title of Duchess, and she doesn't actually have to live in the principality. It's pretty small. It can be governed from afar, and she can still make money off of it. In fact, she's able to make about 2 million francs a year off of her principality, which reminds me of Pauline Bonaparte selling off of her kingdom. So maybe the Bonaparte sisters were very good at financial stuff. Who knows? Maybe there's like a master's thesis to be written there. I don't have time to write that master's thesis. I'm busy on my own, but someone else could. Because Caroline isn't actually living in Berg and Cleves, she stays in Paris and begins having a run of very fun affairs. The two most famous are her affairs with French general Jean Andouche Junot and an Austrian ambassador to France, who will definitely have quite a few fights with Napoleon, Clemens von Metternich. And if you took AP European history, the name Metternich should be familiar. He was the major European diplomat who helped lead the fight against Napoleon and who ultimately set up the Congress of Vienna, which was the peace in Europe after Napoleon's defeat, and which basically set up the system of alliances that kept Europe from breaking into a full-on continental war until World War I and is very conservative, all things considered. Caroline was almost certainly introduced to Metternich by Napoleon, and that was probably an introduction that Napoleon super regretted in 1813, 1814, as we'll see later on in this episode. It's hard to say if they actually had an affair or not. Everyone says that Metternich and Caroline were sleeping together, but there's actual but there's no definitive proof that the two had an affair. I, however, am a Caroline Metternich truther because that's the sort of historical gossip that I fucking love. Caroline almost certainly was sleeping with Jean Andouche Junot because they were always going to balls alone together and other fun things like that. Caroline's relationship with Junot got to the point that rumors started swirling that she and Junot were plotting to overthrow Napoleon together. And Napoleon was convinced. He told Caroline that she had to stop seeing Junot. That is how worried he was over the possibility of this affair. So yeah, that's what's going on in Caroline's life. She's now a duchess, she's having affairs, people are saying she's scheming against her brother, but there's no proof of it. Getting Bergen Cleves was a good first step for Caroline. Yes, there was some drama since the Germans don't actually want to give a principality up to Napoleon. Some diplomatic wrangling has to happen, but it happens. And Caroline should be happy, right? Wrong. Because with the principality, Caroline is only a grand duchess. And that's not enough for Caroline. She wants to be a queen, god damn it. And she's going to get her wish. Because in 1808, Napoleon moves his older brother, Joseph, from Naples to Spain, which is something I talked about at great length in the Joseph Bonaparte episode. This means that Naples is now open, and Napoleon needs someone to rule over Naples. Since Caroline and Marat had done a decent enough job ruling in Berg and Cleves, or air quotes ruling, I guess, Napoleon gives the upgrade to Caroline and Marat, who are now queen and king of Naples. Under the terms of becoming king and queen, Caroline gets to keep her title, queen of Naples, and will still get to rule even if Marat dies, which is extremely progressive of Napoleon, given that he had a tendency to not believe that women were actually people. However, as part of the terms of becoming king and queen of Naples, Caroline does have to give up Berg and Cleves, but it's enough of an upgrade that Caroline isn't too upset about losing the tiny principality that she never actually lived in. 
Caroline is super excited to move to Naples. She takes all of the fancy art that she had been collecting out of the Elysee Palace and moves it to Naples with her. But in fairness, before we start judging Caroline for this, Joseph had taken all of his fancy art from Naples and brought it to Spain with him, so Caroline did have to do some major redecorating. As Queen of Naples, Caroline wants all the decisions to go through her. However, her husband Marat wants to have royal prerogative as king because he's the man and men should be in charge, which is going to cause a lot of drama between the two of them. Neither one can determine who is actually in charge, who's more competent, etc, etc. And on top of it, neither one is exactly faithful to each other by now, so their marriage is kind of on the rocks, so there's going to be drama in that. In Naples, Caroline and Marat are going to continue the reforms that Joseph has started. Caroline specifically is going to open schools for girls and is going to really focus on improving various palaces around the city. She's also going to focus on making Naples a cultural center, much in the way that her older sister Elisa was focused on making her various kingdoms cultural centers. For example, Caroline will import French clothes and furniture into Naples, and as a result, she's going to end up having a bit of a rivalry over who will have the nicest court, especially with her older sister, Elisa. During their time in Naples, Caroline and Marat are going to be relatively popular. There are not going to be any major rebellions during their time in power. Both are seen as relatively kind rulers, and they do keep the government reforms that Joseph had started in place. Naples does not revert back to feudalism. We do see a continued push on expanding hospitals and expanding education, which are popular. And as a result, the time of both Joseph and Caroline's rule in Naples is known as the decade. So most of the bad stuff that's going on for Caroline during her time in Naples are arguments she's getting into with her husband and her famous older brother, and it's less about whether or not she's a good ruler. All of that is going to change in 1812, because Napoleon asks Marat to lead the French army into Russia, which, as we all know, is going to be an absolute fucking nightmare. With Marat away on the disastrous Russian expedition, suddenly Caroline is the only ruler left in Naples, and she finally gets to rule by herself, which is what she always wanted to do. She ends up doing a really great job as a sole ruler. As it turns out, she has amazing judgment, and a lot of her contemporaries, specifically male contemporaries, are like, oh wow, she can balance talking about fashion with making important political decisions. Isn't that shocking? And it's like, no, duh, women can actually think about things. Get your head out of your ass, men. While Caroline is kicking ass and taking names in Naples, the whole Russian invasion isn't exactly going great. I'm not going to go into like that much detail, but basically what you have to know is the French army kind of gets trapped in Russia in the middle of the winter. There's no food. Everyone is dying in massive quantities. Napoleon ends up losing something like 90% of his army, which are really, really bad numbers, and he ends up hurrying back to France as fast as he can, given the Russian winter, in order to raise more troops, and he leaves Marat in charge of the retreat. And Marat looks around and he's like, screw this, I don't want to be in Russia in the middle of the winter, and he pieces out and goes back to Naples. And when Napoleon finds out about this, he is extremely pissed off, and he feels like Marat had betrayed him by leaving the army behind in Russia which is fair. <coughs> he had given Marat some pretty clear instructions, and Marat had aggressively ignored them. Marat does end up rejoining Napoleon for a new campaign against the Allies in Germany, but his wife, Caroline Bonaparte, is not so sure. 
When she heard about what a nightmare Russia had been, she realizes that maybe her big brother's grip on power isn't quite as secure as it seen as it seemed for the last decade or so. She realizes that the writing is on the wall and that Napoleon is eventually going to lose the war in Europe. Caroline doesn't want to lose everything she's gained when Napoleon gets defeated. And she feels like that if Napoleon gets defeated, the Neapolitans will eventually push her and Marat out and replace them with either a Bourbon ruler or an Italian ruler. And she doesn't want that to happen. So she starts making plans for what to do. And as a result, a lot of contemporaries feel like what happens next is all Caroline's idea because she was more manlike than Marat aka she was more competent and more willing to take initiative. Which, why are we associating those qualities with men? Since when have men ever been competent? I'm kidding, but for real. In January 1814, Caroline and Marat signed a treaty with the Austrians. Apparently, Caroline got the idea for this peace treaty with Austria from her former lover, Metternich. In the treaty, Caroline says that she and Marat will work in the war with the Austrians and in exchange, they will get to keep their full territory and sovereignty. When Napoleon finds out about this, he is extremely pissed off and completely blames Caroline, not Marat, which fair, it probably was all Caroline's idea. However, before Napoleon can fully punish Caroline or Marat for this, he is forced to abdicate for the first time and gets exiled to Alba. After Napoleon's first application, Caroline and Marat end up just staying in charge of Naples. This makes sense because they hadn't actually gone through the full joining the Austrians. They're sort of in this like liminal place where no one's really sure what to do with them, so they're just chilling in Naples. But Marat, who's kind of a weenie, feels bad over what had happened. He decides that if Napoleon comes back to power, he's going to go groveling to Napoleon, apologize, and help him. Even though Caroline's like, what are you doing? This is a terrible idea. And when Napoleon returns to France in the 100 days, that is what Marat does. He rejoins Napoleon. And Napoleon's like, okay, fine, you can help me. Please go back to Naples, stay in a defensive position, and attempt to, like, distract the Austrians down in Italy. And Marat's like, cool, 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 cool. That is exactly not what I'm going to do, because I have a way better idea of how to help you out and take out the Austrians. I'm going to start a diversion to distract the Austrians. And shocking absolutely nobody, Marat's attempt at distracting the Austrians completely fails. And Marat and his army gets routed by the Austrians at the Battle of Tolentino. And as a result of this battle, Marat has to flee back to Naples. Meanwhile, Caroline is completely pissed off about all of this. While Marat had gone back to Napoleon, she was still supporting the Allies, including the Austrians, against Napoleon because Caroline isn't an idiot. Once Marat gathers himself yet again, he goes back to France yet again to attempt to apologize to Napoleon yet again, but Napoleon is fed up with Marat and refuses to see him, so Marat is all alone. By now, Caroline realizes that she's in a pretty shitty situation. The British have completely surrounded Naples by sea, and she's like, look, I'm going to cut my losses, and she surrenders to the British. The British immediately turn her over to her old BFFs, the Austrians, who hold her in a fairly nice castle by Vienna. So yes, Caroline is theoretically a prisoner of war, but her life as a prisoner is pretty cushy. Meanwhile, Marat has decided that he's going to try to reconquer Naples and regain his old kingdom. He goes to Corsica to gather up some followers, and by October 1815, he decides that he has enough support, and he goes to Naples with his followers and tries to seize the city. 
it is a complete and utter failure. The local population has no interest in working with him. Murat gets arrested on October 8th, and on October 13th, 1815, he gets tried and then shot by a Bourbon military tribunal. Before he dies, Murat writes Caroline a very long and fairly tender goodbye letter, but she never actually receives said letter. She is only going to see it via various newspaper accounts. After October 13th, 1815, Caroline is now a widow at the age of 33. As soon as Marat is dead, she changes her name from Caroline Marat to the Countess of Lapona, which is a very clever anagram of Napoli. So, what happens to Caroline after her husband's less-than-glorious end? Well, after her brother abdicates for a second time and gets sent to St. Helena, Caroline's fate is kind of up in the air. Her ex-lover Metternich does try to get her permission to live by Rome, where the rest of her family is living, but the rest of the Allies deny this attempt, possibly because Rome is decently close to Naples, and they're afraid that Caroline is going to try to re-seize Naples the way her former husband had, but I don't think Caroline would have attempted that because she's not that stupid. So instead, Caroline ends up settling at a castle by Vienna called Frostorf, which is where one of Marie Antoinette's daughters is also living. She's going to live there for a few years, which actually ends up being pretty smart because none of her siblings really want to see her, and they're all in Italy, so staying out of Italy probably was for the best. In the aftermath of Napoleon abdicating for reals this time, he is really going to blame Caroline for his downfall, especially for him having to retreat from Moscow, which she most definitely had nothing to do with. She was in Naples. She had nothing to do with Marat deciding to abandon the army. She had no control over weather conditions in Russia. She did not tell Tsar Alexander to burn the city down. She had nothing to do with Moscow. Yes, she did theoretically betray her brother to Austria in 1814, but we cannot blame Moscow on her. Napoleon also says that it was her fault and not Marat's fault that he had to surrender the first time in 1814. And once again, mm, yes, she definitely like did play into his reasons for surrendering the first time, but there were many reasons why Napoleon had to surrender the first time, so I think it's kind of unfair to put it all on Caroline. But at the same time, while he was dragging Caroline through the mud, Napoleon also said that she was the only one of his sisters who were as good as his brothers, which suggested that Napoleon had a complex admiration towards Caroline. And I would also, once again, take issue with that statement, because remember, Pauline voluntarily sold all of her belongings to go live with Napoleon, and Caroline didn't do that. So, Napoleon, let's think about how you're rigging your siblings. Anyway, Caroline's hanging out in this palace in Austria, and while she's there, she befriends this Italian general, Francesco MacDonald. MacDonald had been one of Marat's aides and had actually served as their war minister in Naples, so the two had known each other in Caroline's previous life, and they hit it off. Like, they hit it off a lot. Because Caroline marries Francesca MacDonald either in 1817 or 1830. Different sources give different dates for the marriage. And that is quite a range in dates, which, yeah, I'm not even going to go into that. During Caroline's years in Austria, it's not all fun marriage hanging out in the castle with Marie Antoinette's daughters. Because... Caroline's sons are constantly asking her for money. Neither one of them is all that great at keeping a handle on their finances. Eventually, both of Caroline's sons end up moving to America, but even when they're in America, they keep bugging her for money and are real, and are real pains in the ass. However, both of her daughters do fairly well for themselves, by which I mean they both 
marry European noblemen. And as a fun side note, through one of her daughters, Caroline Bonaparte is um, a direct ancestor of an actor who was in M.A.S.H., which I think personally is my favorite, like, Bonaparte family tree fun fact. Yeah, it's really cool to be a direct ancestor of a king or a queen, but being a direct ancestor of someone on, like, one of America's most popular TV shows is way more relevant. In 1831, Caroline and her new husband, MacDonald, finally get permission to move to the Italian peninsula. She moves to Trieste and then to Florence. In 1836, Caroline's mother, Letizia, dies. And after her mother's death, Caroline gets into a fight with the rest of the Bonaparte siblings over who exactly is going to get to control their mother's estate because their mother's will was a little bit ambiguous. Since Joseph is like the oldest member of the family, he really doesn't want the general public to know that they're fighting. So he ends up sacrificing his chunk of the mother's estate and just gives it to Caroline to appease everyone. And that ends up being really good because by the mid-1830s, Caroline is running into financial difficulties, especially because all the money she had made during her reign in Naples had been confiscated by the new regime in Naples. The next year, in 1837, MacDonald dies. If he, um, she had either been married, she had either been married to him for 20 years or seven years due to the ambiguity of exactly when they got married. During all of this, Caroline had also been struggling to get money from the French government. Caroline had started trying to get money from the French government since Napoleon's abdication. She says that the French government owed her money for various reasons, and it just doesn't really work out for her. The French government refuses to meet with her. They refuse to hear her reasoning until 1838, when she finally gets a meeting with the somewhat new French king, King Louis-Philippe, who isn't technically a bourbon. He's from the House of Orléans and is seen as being slightly more reform-minded and less conservative. And he finally does agree to give her some money because he really does want to piss off the more conservative bourbons and their supporters. As a result of this, Caroline does get a government pension from the French government of around 100,000 francs, which is about $1.1 million nowadays give or take. However, it's unclear if this pension was meant to be a one-time payment or an annual payment. But as we're going to find out, that isn't going to matter all that much because the next year, on May 18th, 1839, Caroline Bonaparte is going to die of stomach cancer at the age of 57 in Florence. She's buried in Chiesa di Onisanti in Florence, but there is a monument devoted to her in the famous Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris. So, for those fans of the study guide who prefer bullet points to a full-on lecture, let's do a quick little recap of Caroline Bonaparte's life. Caroline Bonaparte was Napoleon's youngest sister. She was born in 1782 in Corsica and was 13 years younger than Napoleon. Because of this, the two didn't spend any time together until Napoleon returned back to Corsica after school when their father died of stomach cancer. She was only three when their father died, which meant that she didn't get a formal education in Corsica. When Caroline was 11, the entire family had to flee Corsica due to political unrest that was mostly caused by her brother Lucien and the family settled in Marseille. Due to Napoleon's rising through the army, he was able to send her to the very prestigious Madame Capon's Academy in Saint-Germain-en-Laye, where Caroline did fairly well. However, at the academy, she started to develop a rivalry sort of relationship with a fellow student, Hortense de Beauharnais, who would one day become Caroline's sister-in-law. Awkward. Caroline left Madame Campons around the age of 15. That was the same year that she met her future husband, 
Joachim Murat, who was one of Napoleon's army officers and a close friend of Napoleon. The two hit it off almost immediately. Napoleon wasn't thrilled because he felt like Caroline could do a little bit better, but he allowed the relationship to continue because Marat was such a good friend of his. Caroline and Marat ended up getting married in January 1800. Later in 1800, specifically December 21st, Caroline almost died in an assassination attempt on Napoleon, but she survived and impressed everyone with how coolly she responded to her near death. In January 1801, Caroline gave birth to her and Marat's first child. The couple would have three other children, all of whom would survive to adulthood. In the early 1800s, Marat continued rising in the army, and Caroline took part in the Parisian society that all the Bonaparte sisters were very active in. She wasn't as scandalous as, say, her sister Pauline, although she did have a reputation for liking to wear slightly revealing outfits while pregnant. She also was known for having a very, very tense relationship with Josephine Bonaparte, which wasn't great given that Josephine was married to Napoleon. In 1804, Napoleon became emperor of France, and Caroline started bugging her big brother to make her a proper princess. <laughs> she really pushed her brother to give her lands and a title in various ways, including introducing him to various mistresses. Finally, in 1806, Napoleon gave in. He gave Caroline and her husband their first territory, the Principality of Berg and Cleves in northwest Germany. Given that it was a small principality, Caroline never actually lived in the principality. Instead, she governed it from afar and made money off of it. She stayed in Paris and had quite a few high-profile affairs, specifically with Austrian diplomat Clemens von Metternich and French general Jean-Andouche Junot. Napoleon wasn't thrilled with these affairs. He was convinced that Caroline and Junot were plotting to overthrow him and actually forced his sister to break off her relationship with Junot. While Caroline did have a principality and the title Grand Duchess to go along with it, this wasn't enough to content her. She wanted to be a queen, God damn it. And she got this wish because in 1808, Napoleon moved Joseph Bonaparte from Naples to Spain for reasons and gave the crown of Naples to Caroline and her husband. Caroline was thrilled, moved her family and all of her art down to Naples, and started to rule. Yes, there was some nitpicking over who was actually in charge in Naples. Was it Caroline? Was it her husband? Was it both? But the two continued the reforms that Joseph Bonaparte had started and overall were fairly popular with the local population. But then in 1812, Napoleon asked Caroline's husband to lead the army into Russia. That ended up being a massive fuck-up. Marat peaced out of Russia before he was supposed to, and Caroline started to realize that Napoleon's grasp on power was maybe a little bit on the shaky side. She realized she had to do something to keep her own power intact, and that something was signing a peace treaty with Austria. Napoleon was extremely pissed off when he found out about this, and he blamed Caroline not only for this, but for his inevitable downfall in 1814. Caroline did not feel bad for the peace treaty, but Marat sure did, so when Napoleon came back to power, Marat backstabbed the Austrians, joined up with Napoleon, fought the Austrians, got his ass kicked, tried to go back to Napoleon, but by then, Napoleon was real sick of Marat and told him to leave. By then, Caroline realized the writing on the wall, surrendered to the British and the Austrians, and got put up in a really nice castle by Vienna. Marat, who by now had no friends, decided that he was going to try to re-seize the throne of Naples, made an attempt, failed at this attempt, and got executed by a firing squad in October 1815, leaving Caroline a widow. But Caroline wasn't really going to be stopped. She ended up moving into yet another castle by... Vienna becoming close to one of Marie Antoinette's daughters. 
feuding with her family, marrying an Italian general, getting into fights with her sons over money, getting into fights with her family over money, getting into fights with the French government over money, and eventually dying in 1839 of stomach cancer. So, that is Caroline Bonaparte. To history, her reputation is pretty mixed. She's seen as ambitious, beautiful, and dangerous, which, yeah, that is a killer combination. You go, Caroline Bonaparte. A lot of historians say that she was a straight-up double-crosser who stabbed Napoleon in the back, but I more see it as Caroline was doing what a girl had to do. She realized that Napoleon was going to fall, and she was not going to fall with him. So I applaud her cunning. And people who are both pro and anti-Napoleon acknowledge that Caroline was extremely smart. And it is very, very difficult to find people on both sides of the Napoleon defied agreeing on anything. So while Caroline doesn't have my heart the way Elisa and Lucian do, I do admire her for her cunning. For this episode, most of my research came from Shannon Sellen's 2014 article, Caroline Bonaparte Marat, Napoleon's Treasonous Sister, Joseph Turquan's book, The Sisters of Napoleon, and Annie Emma Armstrong Chalice's book, Illustrious Women of France, 1790-1873. As always, for a full list of sources and relevant images, you can visit the website sadgirlstudyguides.com. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can email the podcast at sadgirlstudyguides.com at gmail.com. As always, if you want to financially support the podcast, you can do so by becoming a patron at patreon.com at patreon.com forward slash sadgirlstudyguides. For $5 a month, you get access to the bi-weekly tangent casts where I talk about a person, place, or thing that doesn't quite fit in to a study guide. Next week on the normal study guides, I will be covering the last of the OG Bonaparte siblings, Jerome Bonaparte. Until then, you can reach me on social media, on Twitter at SadGirlStudyPod, or on Instagram for the memes at SadGirlStudy. As always, the best way to help a podcast grow is tell a friend or subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. And let me know how I'm doing. Read or review. Or else, I'll be sad. Thanks!